If you have a Bible, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Today we will look at Psalm 7, and we will continue this series of teaching through the first book of the Psalms. There's five collections of Psalms, five books. And this first collection, book one, is what we're currently working through from Psalm 1 to Psalm 141. I have called this series The Songs of Our Savior. The Songs of Our Savior. The Songs of Jesus. This is Jesus' hymn book, his prayer book. In the end of Jesus' life, he's eating bread, drinking wine, taking the bread, breaking it, giving it to his disciples, and he told them, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, he gave thanks to it, and he said, drink of this cup, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Maybe you've heard those words before. Maybe you've heard that story. But did you know the next line goes like this? And then they sang a hymn together and then went out to the Mount of Olives. And then they sang a hymn together. And then Jesus went out and began the march toward the cross where he would die for our sins. The very thing he was just illustrating with the bread and the cup. In between the illustration of the bread and the cup and the actual dying on the cross was singing. And I would suggest, even though we can't say for certain, I would suggest he was singing the Psalms. It's Jesus' songbook. So in today's message, what I want to do is not just tell you what Psalm 7 is about. That's part of what we're doing. In a nutshell, this sermon series is me teaching you song lyrics from two, three, four thousand year old songs. It's kind of a funny way to think about it, isn't it? We're studying songs and song lyrics that are ancient poems of worship. You can see actually right there in the first line of Psalm 7, the one that's in all caps, a shigion of David, which he sang. Do you see it? This is not just a poem. It's not just a, a story. It's a song. David sang these words. And so here's the flow of today's message. How did David sing the words that I'm about to read to you? How did David do that? How did Jesus sing these words? And then how does Jesus singing them make it possible for us to sing them? Before I read it, I want to just give you this concept. David sang these words, and when you and I read them, there might be times you're like, yeah, I could say that about myself. But many times we'd say, I don't think I'd ever pray that prayer but then because of the way Jesus prayed, full circle, you and I can pray and use the Psalms, like Psalm 7. 
Let's read it together. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest, like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord, my God. If I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God, my shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the most high. Well, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will endure forever. Amen. The big idea of this psalm is that David's salvation is rooted in David's God, who is a judge. The big idea of this psalm is that David's salvation, refuge, deliverance, is rooted in the judgment of God. And I would suggest that if we take this psalm full circle, you can pray to David's God and make David's God your God because of the Lord Jesus Christ and that your salvation similarly is rooted in the judgment of God. To spell this out, I hope that when you read it, you would make sense of this concept, that David will be judged. Do you see that in the psalm? He says there, right there in verse 8, Judge me, O Lord, for the Lord judges the peoples, including David. David will be judged, but he will be innocent of all charges that are being trumped up against him. And so therefore, because of his innocence, David will be saved. That's the logic of Psalm 7. David knows that he will be judged. Verse 8. 
The Lord judges all peoples, including me. Judge me. And then notice the phrase, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. He is confident that when the Lord judges this specific instance, that David will be found in the clear. So what's the specific instance? And we have one clue, but it's vague. You see again in that top first line before verse 1, all capitals, Shagion of David. We don't really know what Shagion means. The word Shagion means an um, erratic movement. So some think that this is one of these uh, music clues that the song is supposed to be erratic, real loud, real soft, real major key, minor key, something along those lines. It's all over the place. Which David sang to the Lord. And then here's the situation. Concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. So clearly there's a historical context about some person, Cush, who we don't know who that is. That's the vague part. But the thing we do know is Benjaminite is the tribe of King Saul, who was the first king of Israel that David replaced. And there was angst between Benjaminites and Judites, two different family tribes, both from the same Israelite community. So you got one nation, but in that nation, you've got all of these smaller tribes. And of those two tribes, the first king was from Benjamin tribe. The second king, David, was from Judah. And so there's angst and animosity and there's persecution from Benjaminites toward David. They think that they should be on the throne and David thinks he should be on the throne. That doesn't always go well, does it? There's friction. And that's the context that we have. And on the basis of that context, it seems that David is praying, God, section one, as you can see in the handout that I made for you, be my refuge be my hope, save me from pursuers, deliver me in verse 1. They're going to tear me apart. Not just my soul, my, my being. I'm going to be teared apart like a lion tears apart its prey into little pieces. And if you don't save, then I have no hope. That's the first section. And you can see that he is being pursued by friends. You see that in verse 4? Oh Lord my God, if I have done this thing that they're accusing me, if there's any wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend, the one whom I'm at peace is what the actual Hebrew phrase is. I'm at peace with someone. I have not started a fight. They're coming after me and it is on them that this fight has started and I am innocent of whatever they are accusing me of. And so this is where he gets bold. This is what I was suggesting a second ago when I said, are you really going to pray like this? Are you really going to pray, Oh Lord my God, if I have done anything wrong with my hands, if I have caused evil, well, then give me what I deserve. You ever prayed that one? Or verse 8, as we saw just a second ago, Judge me according to my righteousness. How many times do you want to pray that prayer? God, according to how good my record has been, I want you to bring the judgment that I deserve. Let the wicked come and put an end and establish your righteousness. You that test the minds and the hearts, O righteous God. God, you know everything. And I'm confident that you know everything. And therefore, David's confidence is in his innocence. But 
Are you that confident? And that's what I mean by maybe there are times where this would be very applicable immediately right away for you and for me if you have been wrongly accused. Have you ever had a spouse, a friend, a family member? We're talking close proximity, betrayal of some sort where somebody turns against you, accuses you of something, and you know you did not do it. Psalm 7 is for you. That's the context. You should read and take comfort and hope and find the language of Psalm 7 within that circumstance. That's David's circumstance. But I would suggest in every other circumstance, you probably should not pray verse 5. Well, God, if I have enemies, you just let them trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust because I'm so confident. I mean, I just think there's a little hubris, right? A little pride to think that we would regularly pray this psalm except for the occasion of when you know that you're in the right and you're being falsely accused. And so that's David's prayer. It begins with a prayer in verses 1 and 2, a prayer of God being his refuge and his only hope because his friends, his friends have now become his enemies, pursuing him. And then we have in section 3 that that confidence that he has in God to save him is not because God is going to turn a blind eye, but precisely because God will judge and he is righteous. So therefore, God is his shield and he saves the upright in heart, verse 10. He is a righteous judge. He is daily expressing judgments. That's the phrase feeling indignation. It's that he is constantly acting as judge. It's who he is. And if someone doesn't repent, then they need to think about God as one who's ready to strike. And this is, again, what I mean by how comforting is it on the surface to read Psalm 7. And many of you think, so when I picture God, I look up into the heavens and he's, he's very loving, like a, a tender shepherd. Well, Psalm 7 says, if you're an enemy of God, you should look up into the heavens and imagine a hunter with a bow ready to release. That's God. I mean, this is intense. But this is what David is appealing to because he knows that he is innocent. And so therefore, he declares the justice and the judgment of God and that that justice and judgment is being explained in verses 14 to 16. And so he concludes with thanks. God, I will then give you thanks due to your righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. David will be judged because he knows the righteousness of God and his own innocence. Therefore, he will be saved. So friends, pray Psalm 7 whenever you know that God will be right and in the end vindicate you for your innocence. But I would be slow to think that you didn't have some part to play in your marital conflict. I would be slow to think that you didn't do anything wrong in the workplace when some sort of accusation was made against you and you felt like, well, that's not fair. And in this way, that's what I mean by how often are we really going to use Psalm 7? Which brings us to the second way to read it, asking not just the question, how could David say these words? How would Jesus have sung this? So let's go back to that opening scene. Jesus just gave the Lord's Supper instructions to his disciples before he dies on the cross. He's singing hymns, songs. Perhaps he sang Psalm 7. We don't know, but maybe. How would he have sung it? 
if he sang Psalm 7. And I would say that Jesus would have said something like this. Look at verse 1 and 2. David is praying, my God, save me and be my refuge. Jesus is using the same words and concepts, but he's saying, my God, save them. I will be their refuge. Refuge is a a covering. It's the picture of somebody finding shelter. That's what the word means, to give shelter, to seek shelter. Right before Jesus dies, we know he says this, a lament, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you are a city that kills the prophets and stone those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children like a hen gathers a brood under her wings? Jesus, right before he dies in Matthew 23, makes it clear he's longing, he's praying, he's wanting to be a refuge. So his prayer isn't, my God, save me, be my refuge. My God, save Jerusalem, save my people. I want to be the mother hen who takes the little children under her wings. But yet they were not willing. My own people, my own friends, they betrayed me. So what does Jesus pray in the final moments of his life? Well, David prays, you are my only hope. Otherwise, I'm going to be devoured by the lions. Jesus prayed and said to his disciples in the garden, right after he gave them the bread and the cup, went out to the Mount of Olives, my soul, same word, my soul is sorrowful to death. David says, my soul is being torn apart by lions. And Jesus prays, my soul is sorrowful to death. He's getting ripped apart to pieces as he sits in a garden with his disciples, awaiting not the salvation of God, but the judgment of God. David prays, save me because I know that I'm innocent Jesus prays, save them through my innocence. Do you realize that right before Jesus is sentenced in the trial, Pilate went back outside to the Jews and said these words, I can find no guilt within this man. This is why repeatedly the scriptures say that he was tempted in every way that we were, but he had no sin. Or is that amazing doxological, worshipful statement of 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He, Jesus, became sin, who knew no sin, so that we would become the righteousness of God. David prays, save me, God, in your righteousness, because I'm an innocent man. But Jesus prays, save them. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing, and use my innocence. Verse 6 of the psalm, David prays, arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. This is metaphorical, poetic language. God's not sitting around sleeping. He's not relaxed on the job. But to David, his pursuers make it seem as if, God, are you awake? 
do you see what's happening to me? So he is arousing the Lord in his prayer. Get up, judge these evil men and do it in your righteous anger. Jesus. In John 17, we have his prayer recorded. Praise for his disciples. Keep them from evil. In other words, I think we could say Jesus is saying, get up, Father, judge me on the cross so that you can keep them from the evil one. Holy Father, keep them in your name. And so instead of us receiving the righteous anger of God, Romans 5 can say through the blood of Jesus Christ, God shows his love for us in that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we have been justified by his blood. And if that is true, how much more will we be saved from the wrath of God? God is angry towards sinners every day, our psalm says. Do you remember when we talked about the anger of God a few weeks ago? What do we do with that? What if you say to yourself, well, I'm a sinner. Does that mean God's angry with me right now? Are you in the Lord Jesus Christ? How much more will you be saved from the anger and wrath of God because Christ died for us? Verse 10 of Romans 5, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so much more than now will we be saved by his life. David prayed, judge these evil men in your anger. And Jesus prays, Father, save them and keep them from evil. David prays, I will be saved because I know that you are a righteous judge. You will always do what is right. Similarly, Jesus went to the cross praying, not my will, but yours be done. He knew that we would be saved because God is a righteous judge and he will do what is right. In fact, 1 Peter makes this point explicit. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he has just sung some psalms and he prays, take the cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. I think Peter is giving us commentary on that moment. He says, he committed no sins. Deceit was not found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly the righteous judge. The only way Jesus could achieve salvation is because of his confidence in the righteousness of God the judge. So if David was saved because of his confidence in his innocence, you can be saved in your confidence in God's righteousness because of Jesus's innocence and God's full punishment being poured out upon him. David prays, judge me according to my righteousness. I don't think he's making a claim for all of the things that he's ever done. If this is an interaction with Saul, then David's praying before the sin with Bathsheba. We all know that his righteousness wasn't so good in due time. But in this moment, if this is in the interactions with him and the family of Saul, 
then he could be very legitimately saying, I didn't do this, so judge me according to my righteousness. Jesus would be praying the Psalms, but applying them and saying, judge them and do it according to my perfect righteousness. I will advocate for them. I will be their righteousness when they have none. Or as 1 John 2 says, children, I'm writing all of these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, I'm assuming you will sin, I think you could say. You need to remember that we have an advocate who is with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins. Many people translate or interpret the word propitiation. Wrath remover. Wrath absorber. Do you ever look at the cross and picture it like a sponge? Soaking up all of God's anger toward every sin that was committed so that God would look on you and see the righteousness of Jesus and him being the go-between, the one that stands in your place. A human is in heaven. Do you all remember that sermon series we just covered? The dust of earth is now on the throne in heaven advocating for us. So, David prays, Judge me according to my righteousness. I don't think you can ever pray those words unless you are in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God is my shield, David says. He will sharpen his sword and put a string on his bow. Jesus would have prayed, I will be your shield. I will take the piercing of the spear and the sword, and I will take on the fiery arrows. Do you remember the promise that God made to Noah in the covenant? What's the covenant sign of Noah? That I will never flood the earth ever again. I'm going to give you a sign to remind you that every time you see this sign, you know I will never judge the earth again. What's the sign, friends? Rainbow, except the Hebrew word is bow, like bow and arrow. It's in the shape of a bow. And I've wondered this. Do you think perhaps that that word was used so that you would see the rainbow and realize that the bow is not aiming toward you, but it's aiming toward heaven so that the righteousness of God would be satisfied when he releases that fiery arrow on himself to absorb the judgment that humans and all of this earth deserves he took on our shield by being speared in his side and by being pierced with a bow. And this is why I believe Paul in Ephesians 6 says, we don't wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, the cosmic powers of present darkness and spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Take up your whole armor of God then. And then he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Jesus is your shield when you hold him by faith. So friends, David prayed Psalm 7. Perhaps, and I'm just going to assume the best, he was innocent of whatever he was being accused of. 
He certainly is emphatic that he was. And on the basis of the righteous judgment of God, he prays and pleads, God, come to my defense. Make it right in the end. He begins with prayer and he concludes with praise. I thank God. I think it's hard for us to pray this prayer, but because David's greater son, his great-great-grandson, the one true king, Jesus Christ, from the line of Judah, was enthroned on a cross and crowned with a crown of thorns and stripped naked and mocked with a purple robe. That king, ironically, took on the judgment of the whole world, the sins of the whole world, First John 2 said, so that you and I could come full circle and use Psalm 7 whenever you want. On the basis of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, judge me. Because you are righteous, God, even though I know you are fierce in anger, I take refuge in you. Do you believe it? Do you believe the gospel that God loves sinners and that he demonstrates that love through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to take your place and die on your behalf? And because God is righteous, he did not leave Jesus dead. He vindicated him. He rose him from the dead showing triumph that the grave had no claim over this innocent death. This blood that was shed spoke a a more powerful word that could ever be spoken. Victory, righteousness, life, salvation. Jesus then ascended into the heavens as our advocate, pleading our case, and he lives there. The God-man on our behalf, if you would put your faith and your trust in him. If you believe by faith in these realities, Psalm 7 is yours. It is not just a psalm by David, for David. It can be for us. And one of the things I'm hoping is that as we go through the psalms, what I just did for you will be what you do with every single one of these psalms. It's a song of our Savior. Learn the patterns and the themes for how Jesus prayed and used the Psalms. We know he did. So let's just figure out, how would he have prayed Psalm 7? And I suggest here's at least one way. So this week, use Psalm 7, believe by faith in the gospel, and know that if even you're guilty, you can be judged innocent on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and our heavenly Father, we want to give you praise for Jesus Christ. In the same way that David concluded his psalm, we want to conclude this time in the word by giving you thanks. You are due thanks. Kate read for us earlier in Romans 1, That the wrath of God is being revealed against unrighteous people who don't give thanks. So by the power of your spirit, we now give you thanks. And we do it first and foremost for Jesus. For his perfect righteousness. His substitutionary death. And his standing in our place right now 
And in his name, we pray for the spirit of God to be giving us the boldness and the confidence to pray like David. So Father, I pray for the struggling sinners and saints, those of us here who don't know ourselves to be Christians, that we would find salvation today in the gospel. And for those of us who are struggling to think that we could ever talk to you the way David does, I pray that we would get the boldness that Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 4, to boldly approach your throne because it is a throne of grace. And so we do that now asking for things that we do not deserve, that we did not earn, your merit, your favor, your kindness, and your love. Even though we were once your enemies, you now give us a place at your table. And we just want to thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.